Grace to you and peace from God, our Father, and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. While I was on vacation, my family had the opportunity to visit the Ark Encounter and the Creation Museum in northern Kentucky. And if you've never been there yourself, it is well worth the trip. I've personally never been much of a creation science guy, not because I don't believe the words of Genesis that the world was created in six days and that we have a young earth. I've just never felt real compelled to be able to defend the scriptures against what science is saying at the present moment. I believe what God's word says, and that's just kind of always been enough for me. Nonetheless, it was a very, very well done experience at both places. And one of the things I really, really appreciated, because if you've ever been a Christian trying to define or defend the word of God, especially on things like creation or things of that nature, uh, marriage as it's continually redefined, um, the value of human life from conception, all these things in which we kind of find ourselves out in the public square wanting to speak faithfully. Um, it can be really hard to try and argue against whatever scientific claims people are putting at you. And one of the things they do at these museums is they talk also about different world views. How do you view the world and the existence of all things around you? And they will, throughout these museums, set next to each other the biblical creation worldview versus a natural evolutionary worldview. And so that worldview will cause you to just ask questions and make assumptions about the world that we live in. One of the common arguments that we hear by skeptics of the Bible is the problem of suffering. And those skeptics will say, there cannot possibly be a God who made all things, who rules over all creation and is supposedly this loving God, because look at all the suffering in the world. Look at all the death. Look at all the division. Look at all the hate. Look at all the grief. Look at all the pain. How could a loving God allow such things to happen? Well, it just so happens we have a book for that. I mean, it's all throughout Scripture, but the book of Job, from which our Old Testament reading comes today, is effectively a book about the problem of suffering. Which I guarantee many, if not all of us here, know something about as well. Job, however, suffered in a very profound way. And it starts off in the very beginning of the book. If you've never read the first two chapters of Job, go and do it. It's a fascinating book, a very long book. It begins 
with Satan approaching the Lord God in heaven. And the Lord says to Satan, what have you been doing? And he says, going to and fro about the earth. And God says to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? Have you considered how Job is upright and blameless and righteous in what he does? And Satan says to God, that's because you've put a hedge around Job. You've let nothing bad happen to him, God. If you let me afflict him, he will curse your name. And so God says to Satan, go ahead, you can afflict Job, just do not harm him in his body. And so, in one fell swoop, Job loses all of his children, all of his servants, all of his herds and flocks. And yet, though he struggles with why this has happened to him, he will not curse God. Satan then goes back to God, and God holds before him the example of Job, that he does not curse God, he trusts in the Lord. And Satan says to God, if you let me afflict him in his body, he will surely curse you. So God says to Satan, you may afflict him in his body, only do not take his life. And so Satan afflicts Job and he's covered head to toe with festering, oozing boils and sores. Incredible, immense agony and pain. And yet Job does not curse the Lord. Job is the picture of the most immense suffering you could imagine. The rest of the book of Job, at least up through chapter 37, is Job having a dialogue with three of his friends. His friends try to convince him that God has done all this to him because he is punishing him. Job must have sinned specifically in some way in order to be afflicted like he has been. But Job responds to his friends throughout the book, that's not the God I know. So why is this happening? And Job is convinced that somehow God must be acting not rightly towards him. Something must be wrong with how God is because Job knows God is not punishing him because he's been faithful, he's been walking uprightly. He's been following the Lord's commands, and nonetheless, all this has come upon him. You may ask questions like that yourself. When you go through suffering, when you're hurting, you might wonder like Job's friends, God, are you punishing me for something? Is there some wrong that I have committed for which this is being brought upon me? Or like Job himself, you might be like, God, I don't understand why you're doing this, why you're allowing this, why you're permitting these things when you are a just and righteous and kind and loving God. You can probably find yourself in either camp. Our Old Testament reading today is God's answer to why we suffer. 
And when we're hurting and suffering and questioning and doubting and wrestling with God, perhaps the thing you want most is to feel a warm embrace. But these words come across more like a bucket of ice-cold water. The Lord is speaking to Job for the first time in this book. Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Who determined its measurements? Surely you know. Or who stretched the line upon it? On what were its bases sunk? Or who laid its cornerstone when the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy? Or who shut in the sea with doors when it burst out from the womb? When I made clouds its garment and thick darkness its swaddling band and prescribed limits for it and set bars and doors and said, thus far shall you come and no farther. And here... Shall your proud waves be stayed? And on he goes. Here is the Lord's answer to Job about why Job has suffered. He effectively says, I am God and you are not. Not exactly the most comforting message, is it? I am the Lord. I am God. You are not. And through the suffering of Job and through the words of the Lord, we're forced to come to the realization that sinful people, it's in their nature to take God's work on themselves. The very first of the Ten Commandments, of course, says you shall have no other gods. And Luther says, what does this mean? We should fear, love, and trust in God above all things. Well, you know, the thing we most often fear, love, and trust above God is ourselves. Because that's really what sin is, isn't it? Every time we sin, every time... We choose our own ways, our own paths, our own desires. We are elevating ourselves above the one who has made heaven and earth, the one who has formed us, the one who sustains us from day to day, the one who gives us his word by which to live. Effectively, when you sin against God, you make yourself into God. The problem is, Like Job, we were not there at creation. We were not there when the foundations of the earth were laid. We were not there when its cornerstone was sunk into the ground. We were not there when God fashioned all things by his word, by his hand, by his power. We are not God. And I submit to you today that is actually wonderfully comforting news. Thank God we are not God. Because it is true, we have not been there from the beginning. We cannot see into all of God's mind, only what he has revealed to us. This creation, this world in which we live, 
This majestic globe on which we find ourselves surrounded by not just the good, but also the evil, it all belongs to him. It's all ordered by him. It's all in his control. Even the suffering. You see, that was Job's mistake in thinking that by suffering that God had somehow stopped being who he had always been. And that's something for you and I to learn about suffering as well. When we suffer, when we grieve, it is not because God has stopped being faithful or stopped being loving. To get a true sense of what that looks like, look no further than our gospel for today in Matthew 14, where Jesus appears on the water in the midst of the storm, the waves, the wind, where he walks on the water to calm and still the storm. You see, the God who made heaven and earth, who formed all things from its foundation, he does something that we cannot do. We cannot go to the beginning where he made all things. We were not there. Job was not there. But he can enter our suffering. And that is what Jesus does. God in human flesh takes on humanity, yes, to suffer and die for you, but also to suffer and die with you. Your God, your Savior, your Lord Jesus Christ knows suffering because he has endured Suffering. He has endured grief and pain and the onslaught of evil. He has taken all evil upon himself on the cross and knows exactly what your suffering entails. You, O oh human being, cannot go be with God at the foundations of the earth, but he can and does come to be with you in your suffering. He enters the storms, the raging winds of this world, like Jesus walking on the sea. And by his voice, he stills it by the word of Jesus. Suffering meets its match by the word of Jesus. Death leads to life. For this Jesus who entered our suffering, the storms and winds of this world, he has stilled the storm of death by rising again to life and holding before you 
hope and promise and a future, a life that will never end. I'll spoil the end of the story. If you fast forward to the end of the book of Job, God restores Job, blesses him with earthly prosperity and gifts once again. And as you wrestle with suffering, our Lord Jesus holds before you a blessing at the end of all things. A life where there is no more suffering and death. Only the blessed presence of our God and the Lamb Jesus. He is God, the Lord. You are not. Thanks be to God. For you have one who joins you in your suffering, who suffers for you, and shows you that God is at work in suffering. Think about what we will do as we approach the altar on this day to receive the very body and blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. Our Lord Jesus will literally put his suffering and death into our hands and into our mouths for life, for strength, for forgiveness. As you wrestle with what it means to suffer as the people of God here in this life, you can indeed see and marvel at the majesty of God as you look at the creation around you, and I certainly invite you to do that. The stars, the northern lights, meteor showers, sunsets and rainbows and sunrises, other miracles we see, healing and love shown between one another, the gift of life at childbirth, all these things remind us of the greatness of God's creation. But, above all things, look most intently on where God is at work through suffering. The suffering bleeding and dying of his son, Jesus Christ. Look on his cross and look on the one who suffers for you and with you. The one who is from the very foundations of the earth and even before. He is God, your Lord and Savior. Amen. The peace of God which passes all understanding, keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.